You know, as we think about the events of this day and this week and all that has um, transpired, it can feel as if um, the ground beneath our feet is very shaky. And so that's why we stand and we worship God and we remember who He is. And as we were singing that song and um, magnifying the Lord together, I couldn't help but think that perhaps as so many of the normalcy, uh, the normalcy of our life, the things that we um, can sometimes feel like we can count on have been stop, pause, put on hold. Um, the Lord remains, and the Lord is here with us, and um, He is being magnified, and I pray homes all over the world. Um, I know this isn't exactly how the internet works, but just imagine um, the internet being broken over the fact that so many streaming uh, devices are on, um, listening to the Word of God being preached all over the world. Um, and what a, uh, uh, just an amazing thought that that is, is that all over the world uh, this morning, and in homes all over our city, um, folks are watching this stream, watching streams from our other churches, and um, the Lord is being magnified. And so um, we're going to spend some time in prayer and just ask the Lord to bless us and strengthen us, um, and even through our time together this morning to remind us of who He is. So I invite you there with your families um, to bow your heads and humble our hearts together before God. Um, and I will leave some space intentionally of silence um, that you may be able to just pray together amongst yourselves, may be able to voice a prayer out loud, um, and then I'll close us and lead us. Heavenly Father, we do come together to praise your great name. You are holy. You are completely set apart from us. And yet through the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ, we enter into your presence. We have fellowship with you. And we can have confidence and know that you are with us always. So God, it's with humble hearts that we ask for your hand to be on our lives individually, to be at work in our community, in our nation, and around the world. We have been reminded, God, of how small we are, of how unable we are to control the circumstances of our lives. I confess, God, so often I spend my day trying to ensure that I maintain control, that I have self-direction, I believe that lie so often, and I forget that you are the sovereign of the universe and that you hold all things together. 
And if not for your hand of grace and mercy, not just a virus, but this world would be spinning out of control. But you do hold us together. You care for us. And so we ask in the name of Jesus that you would bring healing and restoration to those who are sick. We know right now, as of this morning, of seven individuals, just even within our own county, who are ill. And we ask that you would heal their bodies, that you would give them complete restoration. You'd give them hope even as they face isolation. Lord, would you remind them that they are not alone? Would you allow your spirit to be with them? And all over the world, there are thousands who are sick and need your help, God. And we ask for your healing power. God, we ask for your grace and wisdom to be with our healthcare community, all of those providers that are working tirelessly to ensure that we are cared for, that they are ready for our local community, but also around the world, doctors, nurses, emergency personnel, first responders. God, we pray that you would strengthen them for the long days and the hours that they are working. Lord, they are tools in your hands. You are our great physician. You are the healer. And we acknowledge that it is only by your power that we are healed. But use them, God. Use them as you have gifted them, equipped them, trained them. All of the things that they have at their disposal are from you, Lord. And so we ask that you would use them to bring restoration. And you bring, use them or give them strength as they work. We also pray for wisdom and discernment for our leaders Locally, state, and national leaders, Lord, we pray that you would bless them with wisdom. Yes, God, these are for us uncertain days, and they require leadership. They require that we follow the instructions that we are given. Your word tells us that there is no authority given that is not given from you. And so we pray for those in authority over us. We thank you for them. We receive their leadership as your common grace to us all. And we pray that you would help them. And that you give them clarity of each step that they should take. God, I pray that where there has been so much great division in our nation, that even through this virus, this terrible thing, that you might bring unity and healing. You would remind us of who we are and more importantly, who you are. God, you are God. We are not. That is good news for us. And we trust in you completely. We put our hope in you. So I pray as we face challenging, uncertain, yes, even strange days in the days ahead, that through it all, we would be reminded to put our hope in you. Even as you have stripped away some of the things that we so quickly lean on, we thank you for that, Lord, and we receive that as 
your work for good in all things. And so we pray that you'd help us. As the body of Christ, Lord, we pray that we would be filled with your spirit to love our neighbors well, to be attentive to the needs of others, to lay down our lives readily for those in need. We pray that your church would rise up in this city, in our nation, and around the world. And that the church would not be the one who is glorified, but our Savior, Lord Jesus, who created us, who we are his body. Jesus, we pray that you would be glorified as we strive to be obedient to the calling that you have given us to love sacrificially and to love as you first loved us. So fill us with your spirit so that we might be able to do that, Lord. God, as we open up your word, for those of us gathered together as City Church this morning, would you teach us, instruct us, and once again, God, would you remind us of who you are through it? We thank you for this word. God, I thank you for the gift of Psalm 16, what it has meant to me so many days in my life, and I pray that you would use it to strengthen your church. Bless us. We ask all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as you heard Laurel read for us, and by now you've um, unpacked, we are looking at Psalm 16 this morning. And more than a few weeks ago, I reread Psalm 16, and I was thinking about spring break and all that we had coming forward, and I thought that this would be the perfect text for us to read coming off of spring break coming off of what I imagine would have been a spring break filled with just a lot of fun and enjoyment, but to remind us of who God is, to remind us of where our joy ultimately comes from. And yes, many of us were able to experience some of those fun times, some of those good times in the last week, but we also have been very quickly reminded of some of the hard days. I love this psalm, and as I just prayed, it's encouraged me so many times. I've even prayed, some of you in our faith family have received text messages or calls, and I've shared with you that I've prayed this psalm over you, because you've been dealing with challenging days. A few weeks ago, when I determined that this would be the text for this Sunday morning, I couldn't have known how important it might be. I couldn't have known that I would be coming to you via a video camera and unable to be with you physically. I would have never imagined the impact the coronavirus would have had on our world. But so often in life, it's these hard things, these challenging days that remind us of so much truth. I think most of the time for us here, I just confess in my own life, the hardest things that happen, they're always off in the distance and they seem to occur and, 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 and happen to other people. And I think we are sometimes blinded by that. Those things happen to other nations, to other families. That's never hit home. By God's grace, we are so often protected from these darkest of moments. And they only get as close to us as reading about them on the screen in front of us. As we wait, we scroll the news, and we see these things that are happening. And even today, this morning, those of us residing here in Collin County, Texas, this virus has not touched us in the most harmful of ways, in the worst ways. 
Yes, it's affected us all. We're not able to gather together and worship this morning. But it has shown us, even though it is still a little bit in the distance, it's shown us how close we are to devastation. It shows us how close we are to things spinning out of control. But, as I just shared, in some small ways, God is still showing us that he is in control, that he is always for our good. He is reminding us that we are not our own sovereigns, that he is the one and only. We are not in complete control. The idol of self-sufficiency and self-direction has been chipped away at this week as we submit ourselves to direction, ultimately direction from him, I hope. And so when we begin to lose our grips, though, on these idols, these things that have kind of been the walking sticks that have given us some sure footing, our natural response is fear. It's natural for us to feel like we are losing our grip But friends, let me remind us, the reality is we never really had a grip. His grip was on us. Jesus is the one that holds us. And that's the promise of Psalm 16, that he is forever with us. So here we are. I'm preaching to a camera, knowing that you're on the other side listening, I pray. Just about everything in our daily lives is at least at a minimum on hold. Yes, they are strange days. But I hope that we can look to our Father in heaven and remember that he does not change. Our God is unchanging. He is not far from us. And so we do not have to live in fear. So returning to Psalm 16, I want to read it for us again. It's a short psalm, but it's such a beautiful psalm. So I'm going to read it in whole. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom all is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. He begins this psalm, David, and he says, Preserve me, O God. And as we read preserve me, this seems like it might be a request. But ultimately, this is not a request. He's not asking the Lord to preserve him. It is an expression of faith. This is a poem that expresses complete trust and confidence in God and in God alone. So when he says, preserve me, O God, because you are the only one, he's saying, preserve me, you're the only one who can. There is no one else who can preserve me. There is no one else that can hold me together. There's no one else where I can find refuge or hope or rest. 
He says, I find that only in you. I know that I can find that only in you, and I take refuge. You know, when we think about refuge, that word, at least for me, it's a safe place. It's the hiding place in the midst of the storm. As you're hiking up through the mountains and the rainstorm comes, you need to take refuge and you find the little cave that you can go into and you can rest and you can be protected from the storm. Or we think of the cabin in the woods, a refuge, a safe place from the cold of outside, from the snow and the ice. But he says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Because we think of refuge as these temporary places, these places that are just sort of set in the midst of the wilderness, we can ask ourselves, where is God not? See, refuge in God is not a temporary place. It's not a moment in time. It's not something that we run into for a season. That's the wrong understanding of taking refuge in God. Because God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Which means he's not found in a single location. We often say in our church family that God doesn't reside just here. We don't go to church. We are the church. So even this morning, we are living that out in a strange way, of course. But we are being the church in the same way that we have been the church every Sunday morning since this church began. We are doing it separately, and that's not what we would like, but we are being the church. We are with God. God is not found in a singular location. Yes, in the midst of the great storm, in the midst of a pandemic, we can take refuge in God alone, and we can rest in him. We can find hope in him, and he is always with you. We can take refuge in God and we don't have to go and find him. We don't have to seek him out in a singular space. He is always with us. The reality of our nature causes us to think that these are temporal things. We think of ourselves only needing refuge when the storm comes. Why do we need refuge when the sun is shining on us? Resting on the beach with no hint of illness or strife anywhere to be found. When things are great, refuge is far from our mind. We don't have any idea that we even need it. But when things get hard, refuge, rest is all that we can think of. And this poem of David is a poem of trust. We can trust that we find refuge in God, but we also have to remember that we only find true refuge, refuge that lasts, refuge that is not temporal, refuge that is not confined to a space or time in the protection of our great God. He is our Lord. He is the sovereign who provides everything we need and the only one who can provide everything that we need. That's why David professes, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. No good. How often do you describe and consider that the Lord is Lord? He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. When we call him Lord, we acknowledge that he is the only one who can provide what we need. 
How often is that the reality of our minds? How often is that what we are thinking of? Perhaps the events of this week have reminded us how small the little gods that we have adopted as idols are. Our jobs, sports, entertainment, travel, even some of the freedoms we enjoy are at least temporarily gone. We won't find rest in them. My bracket has been busted. It never got written. We won't find our good in them. We will not find our hope in them. But as I said previously, our God, he is unchanging. In him, we have, as the psalmist will later say in verse 11, fullness of joy and pleasures evermore. I know the Lord has reminded me this week of how easily I look to the things of this world for something that only he can provide. I look to the things of this world for joy, for peace. The psalm is a declaration. This psalm is a declaration of the heart. Here in the United States, we have the Declaration of Independence. It expresses our God-given freedom as people to self-govern. This psalm, and for the Christian, we declare that we are completely dependent. This is a psalm, a declaration of dependence on God. It says, you are Lord, I have no good apart from you, God. I, my life, am completely dependent upon you. So if you have not thought of that recently, if that thought has been distant from your mind, if you've been captivated by so many other things in the world that you might have forgotten your dependence upon God, perhaps this is God's common grace to us to remind us that he is with us and that we can depend on him and that we should always only find our hope in him alone, our refuge in him. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Verses three and four, the psalmist turns and he looks around him at the people that are in the world with him. I'm not going to spend quite as much time on these two verses, but the psalmist is indicating his love for his fellow believer. He says that all the saints in the land, they are the ones in whom all is my delight. They are the excellent ones. And his pity for those who chase after the small gods of the world is described in verse 4. We delight in the goodness of God shown to our brothers and sisters. This is a psalm, and what he's saying is, as a church family, we are missing seeing one another physically. And so I can even just describe to you right now, when I think of you, when I think about seeing these empty chairs, but am reminded of the faces that so often do fill them, you are the ones that are my delight. You are the ones that bring me joy, that lift me up, that encourage me. And the sorrows of those who chase after the other gods, we pity them, which is why in love we try to lift up Jesus, lift him up. We recognize that If not for God's grace, we would be tempted to chase after the same things. Then verse 4 is describing pagan worship. 
Pagan worship often involved bloodshed of children, sacrifice to false gods. This is the blood that the psalmist is rejecting, and he's saying, I will not chase after the things of this world. The gods that this world sets up that are not true, that are not real, I will not follow after them. We have declared our dependence and our faith in the one true God. But let us remember, let us be ever mindful of the enemy who brings shiny things our way and tries to tempt us to go off and worship something else. Psalmist David returns to this declaration of dependence in 5 and 6 and 7 and 8. Again, these four verses, they first are a confession of trust and then a song of praise. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. The Lord is enough, he says. The Lord, we say to him, what you have for me is what I desire, my chosen portion and my cup. Whatever you have for me, God, I trust you. I trust that it's enough. I trust that it's right. I trust that it's rooted in your goodness. I trust that whatever you put in front of me, that all that you are is the best for me. Not these other small things, not the temporary things of this world, but you alone, Lord. So often we get caught up and we think to ourselves, I like and I enjoy the blessings of what God brings. Even as I consider our church family, yes, I love you all. And I, the joy that you bring me is great. You are a gift of God to me. But I can't worship you. I worship and I give God praise. I want him. He is my chosen portion. He is my cup. And the gifts that he brings me, those good things of God, yes, we thank him for them. We rejoice in them. But they do not become our gods. My wife, my children, all of the things that they enjoy, so often they can become idols for us. The good gifts of the Lord, when put in the wrong place, can t cause us to drift away from him. David declares, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You are all I need and want. In verse 6, one of my favorite verses in this psalm for sure, maybe in all of scripture, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. This is describing the people of God who, when David's day, were sometimes born not with an inheritance, not as landowners, but migrants traveling through the land, wondering where they might find rest and hope. And David describes that the, because of God, the lines, the lot lines of his life have fallen in pleasant places, and he does have a beautiful inheritance. But when I, when I read these, this word lines, another word picture comes to mind. I think it must come from my grandpa. But we used to take summer trips. We'd travel all over the country on road trips, spending three or four weeks on the road with the RV behind us. And we navigated the world in those days via my good friend, Rand McNally. Before Google Maps, kids, before Waze, we had Rand McNally. It was a great app. It fit in our glove box. We'd pull that out, that map out, 
and we could see the entire state. And my grandmother would plan these road trips for us, and so she'd have a map for each state. Of course, starting in Texas, and then as we went west or east, she'd have the next states that we would go through. Tip of the day, parents, pull out a map. Go find a Rand McNally when you're at the store. Walmart's probably not sold out of those today. Show your kids an old school map. But we get that map out each night. And I'd ask grandma, where are we going? What's next for us in our journey? And I'd look and see, and I'd see where we were, and I'd see where we were heading. And if I saw a fat red line, that was great because it meant interstate. It meant smooth sailing. But then I'd look and I'd say, grandpa, maybe this line, it cuts straight. It would be faster. And he would remind me that it wouldn't be quite as good for gas mileage. We're going to stay on the interstate. You know, we don't use maps this way anymore, most of us at least. But the paths we follow are directed by something like a map. And for the Christian, what we confess when we confess this, that the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, the lines of my life, the path of my life has fallen in pleasant places because of God's sovereignty. He has guided me. And these lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. As I look back on my life, I see and I can testify to you this morning that as the Lord has led my life and I've navigated through good days and uncertain days, joyous days and the most heartbreaking of days, all of those lines have fallen for me in pleasant places because I know that God is the one who has caused them to fall where they may. And because I know where I've been. I also know where I am going. The lines have fallen for me in this life in pleasant places, and the lines will follow and lead me to a beautiful inheritance, an inheritance filled with hope, filled with, as he will soon say, everlasting joy and pleasures forevermore. And so five and six are an uh, illustration or describing David's trust, his confidence in the Lord. And so as he thinks of his trust, and he thinks, as I just have just momentarily, thinks about his life and looks backwards and sees all that God has done in his life, he is so essentially, he bursts into song. In verse seven, he says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. He, he turns to a song of worship. I bless the Lord because he instructs me. He directs me. David says that he blesses him. He gives him counsel at night. Let me ask you to consider a question for a moment. When you lay down in your bed at night, what fills your mind? What occupies your thoughts? Is it the anxieties of your heart? The fears of this world? Concern? Is it heartbreak? Or is it the Word of God? I'll tell you, I've experienced both. And most of the time, this time at night is what directs my sleep. As I lay my head down on my pillow, whatever is filling my mind in those moments will direct my sleep and even influence me into the next day. When I'm listening to my flesh and to the world, guess what fills my mind? Anxiety. And for me personally, fear of man. Worried about who I've let down, who I've disappointed, where I've messed up, 
how I didn't say that the right way, how that conversation didn't go the way I had hoped. I didn't handle that right. Those thoughts fill my mind. But when I've spent time with the Lord in his word, it's the Lord that fills my mind. His words remind me of his love. And guess what happens? I fall asleep peacefully. Yes, I just said, as I'm talking with the Lord, even prayerfully having a conversation, meditating on what he has taught me, I hang up and I fall asleep on God. Friends, he's pleased with that. He's overjoyed that I could sleep and rest peacefully in him, in the confidence of his word. This is why he brought me to Jesus, so that I could rest, so I could have peace. So if you fall asleep with the world's counsel on your mind, I would encourage you, fill your mind more fully with the word of God. Let his word, let his counsel instruct your heart at night. Setting the Lord before him, as he says there in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me, means that you keep him first. He blesses the Lord for giving him instruction, and he says that because of the Lord's work in his life, he keeps him first. He always has him set before me. We are a people that have to acknowledge that his ways are higher than our ways. Again, ask yourself, how often do you do that? How often, as you're going through your daily life, do you consider what would be God's way in this moment? What would bring God the most glory in this situation, in this conversation, rather than just sort of navigating your life as however you might see fit? I think for most of us, we go throughout our day, and again, in moments in time, especially if we're facing hard decisions or challenging times, we're very mindful and we're wanting to know, what would God have to say about this? How would God direct me? But David says here, a man after God's own heart, by the way, says that he puts the Lord always before him, is always considering what it is that God would have to say. What would God instruct me to do here? See, this lie of self-direction that we are in complete control, it kind of manifests itself when we navigate our life, when we go throughout our daily lives, never considering God or his sovereignty or his purposes or his glory in the way that we live. But if we are to be a people like David, if our hearts are to be closer to him, men and women, children, boys and girls, after God's own heart, we would be wise to set his ways always before us, to consider them. I've shared this before, but I've made it a practice in my life that any time I am about to sit down and meet with someone, which often happens just in the way that, obviously, what I do for vocation, I pause and I pray and I ask the Holy Spirit of God to instruct me and to give me wisdom because a temptation for me, because I faced marital strife, I faced questions about how to deal with children. I faced questions about the word of God. I've dealt with so many of these things on a regular basis. It would be easy for me to just rely on my past experience and just to say, I know what to do. I've said this before. This is the counsel that I offer. But God's word, this word instructs me. No, I need to set God's ways always before me. And so before I enter into any conversation, especially because I realize that the questions that I'm asked, the conversations that I have are often literally about life and death. Holy Spirit of God, you have a purpose for this conversation and I believe and trust that you have a word for this dear friend, this one I love, 
Speak through me. Give me the right words to say, you instruct me. And I would encourage every believer, every time we have a conversation, whether it's with a coworker, whether it's with a friend, whether it's with your spouse, with your family, whoever you might be inter, uh, uh, in, engaging with, consider the ways of the Lord. Put him always before you. Every decision, even the smallest of decisions, consider which way would bring God the most glory. And do you know the peace that comes with that? When you've considered the Lord's ways and you've considered what might bring him the most glory, you can rest confidently that really whether you go left or right, you've put his way before you, you've made your most informed decision based on what you know about God and what you think would bring him the most joy and you can step into that freely without worrying about the consequences. You can trust that he is there. And that is why David says, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. I am with God. He is with me. I know what he has said. I know his ways. I know his purposes. I know I've considered how to bring him the most glory in this. I shall not be shaken. This week, we have been shaken. Some of us fear, anxiety, so many burdens, wondering about what it is that we should do. And for some others, it might not have been this week, but two weeks ago, two months ago, two, three, four years back, you remember these days of being shaken. But we don't have to. We don't have to find ourselves shaken and uncertain. We can put the Lord before us and we can find strength and security in him. Set the Lord always before you. He is with you. And this is, how David closes this psalm in verses 9 through 11. He rejoices because he knows that he is secure. You know, security is one of those unknown blessings. We don't really know that we're secure because we just sort of feel normal or at peace, but we don't usually acknowledge those things. It's only when we find ourselves in unsecure or insecure situations that we realize, oh, I had been secure, but now something has happened. Two weeks ago, we didn't really realize, we might have been beginning to hear some rumblings, but we didn't realize how insecure we might be. We had no idea that we would be gathering as a church family in the way that we are this morning. But today, we recognize the security that we once felt, the security that we had. But because of the Lord's presence, we can stand secure. Even as we feel somewhat insecure regarding the circumstances surrounding our world, we can have security. For some, this insecurity goes beyond just these recent weeks. It's long-lasting, has been a part of your life for as long as you remember But I want to remind you, friends, you are secure in Christ Jesus. You're not secured by the circumstances of your life. You are not secure because you are not presently sick. You're not secure because of something going on with your job or with your family or with your friends, all of those things that you might find, this is what's holding me together. No, your security comes from God and he will not abandon you. He will, as we so often sing, hold you fast. You are secure because you're secure in the only one who truly brings security. 
Therefore, verse 9, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. You can be at peace. You can know that you will not be abandoned. The life that Christ came to bring you, when he laid down his life for you, the life that he purchased for you, when he took his life up again and was raised from the dead, the life that he gave you that is everlasting, it was secured by him and in him alone. Therefore, we do not have to worry. We don't have to wonder about what the future might hold. We don't have to have any doubts about the direction that we're heading. We can know that the path of life will lead us to pleasant places. We can know that we have an inheritance that is secure. We will not see corruption. We will not be abandoned. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David returns to this language of lines. You make known to me the path, the line of life. In your presence, which is everywhere, as we've already described, there is fullness of joy. We said earlier that God being at our right hand gives us security, his word that we will not be shaken. And here, David, he returns to this right hand and he reminds us once again that at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you know who sits at the right hand of God? Our Savior, Lord Jesus, who said when he ascended to heaven that he would go and ascend to the right hand of the Father. In Christ there are pleasures forevermore. In this world, you will have trouble. In Christ are pleasures forevermore. If you don't know the everlasting joy, if you don't know the path of life, put your hope in Christ. Go back to verse 1. I confidently say to God, preserve me, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing, no good apart from you. But you, Lord, make known to me the path of life. And in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I know the inheritance that awaits me. This psalm is a psalm against living like the rest of the world does, friends. Today, that looks like a people who aren't fearful of death and so serve sacrificially, step into the sick bays to pray and to give encouragement and love. That looks like people who don't panic and strip Walmart of its shelves, but freely give away their TP knowing that the Lord will provide. We are a people who can rest secure in the future, in our inheritance that we have. It's secured by Christ. 
Yes, we're not trying to live our best life now because we know that that is nothing. Our best life, our greatest hope is in the future, sitting with Jesus at the right hand of the Father where pleasures forevermore are found. This psalm is about living our life with everything directed by God, receiving all of the good things of God, receiving what Christ has done in our lives and leading our lives as the Spirit directs. Let us never forget these words. You make known to me the path of life. At your right hand, or in your presence, excuse me, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I messed that up, so I'm going to read it for us one more time. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Thank you, Jesus, that that is true. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would use this word to remind us of the truth. Remind us of who you are. Remind us of where true hope and everlasting joy comes from. That you would remind us of who we are people who are loved by God and held secure by you. Lord, I pray that you would teach us this morning to live our lives differently than the rest of the world might. Differently because our hope is not found in the circumstances or the things of this world, but our hope is found in you. God, I pray that you would make this psalm the testimony of our lives. We would acknowledge you as Lord. We would realize that we have no good apart from you. We would realize that you are the giver of all good things and that because of you, through our Savior Jesus, we have a beautiful inheritance. We have everlasting joy. We have all these things because of you. So help us to live our lives as people who aren't shaken by the circumstances of this world. But keep our eyes on you, Jesus. Keep our eyes on the pleasures of eternity, the joy that we will one day experience, and let that be our aim. We pray all of these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to return to worship. Let's sing.
son for redemption Christ for my heart I don't have a context for that kind of City Church, thank you again for joining us online this morning. I know this has been a little different for us all, but we're so grateful for you being with us. Um, I want to, again, just publicly thank Pastor Matt, uh, our elder team. They worked tirelessly yesterday um, to make uh, this even possible for us, and um, pulling that together in such short notice was a a great uh, effort, so we're grateful for them. So please um, join me in just um, giving them thanks to all of our elders who uh, love you well and want to serve you.
um, and ensure that you have an opportunity to worship together. Um, just uh, so you know, this week we have um, closed all of our gatherings. We will not gather uh, for our regular Bible studies, um, some of the other uh, items on our church calendar. Uh, we will keep you posted on next week uh, exactly what the future holds. We don't know, but God does. And so we're grateful that that is true. And uh, we will communicate with you as often as we can um, about uh, what to look forward to um, next week. Uh, we are praying for you, and um, we can't be down front uh, to receive you this morning. But if you do have prayer requests, please um, get on our website, go uh, uh, use email, whatever, text us, whatever we can do, let us know. And if you know of needs in our community, um, if there are anyone who is in need and, and we can come rally around them as a church family, please also make us aware of that. Uh, perhaps you are joining us online and this is the very first time that you've experienced City Church. Uh, we're grateful that you took time to join us and we look forward to being able to meet you personally. But again, we would love an opportunity to uh, connect with you. And um, on our website, you can scroll near the bottom of the page. You can find contact, basically a way to reach out to us if you don't already know how to do that. So we love you guys. Um, this recording will be posted online later if you need to share this with any friends or family. Uh, but we pray God's richest blessings on you. Um, we ask for his favor. And we pray that we would remember as we just sang that we can run to the Father and we can trust him and we can know that he is good. We love you. God bless. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.